0: Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company. I know a lot of people listen each week while walking. And I think it's probably safe to say one thing pilgrims share is a love of walking. It's not always easy going. Indeed, the various routes of the Camino de Santiago can at times be extremely difficult. It's been said many times here, the walk is much like life. Some days are easy, others more difficult. And some days you just feel you'll never cope only to realise the struggle was making you stronger. There's an old saying, when you're walking, you see things that you miss in a car or on a train, you give your mind space to ponder. Well, my guest this week has certainly done some walking and pondering. Sam Clear was born and bred in Tasmania. He headed off on the 16th of December 2006 to basically walk around the world. It was called Walk for One. His mission? to unite Christians, to spread the word of Jesus and to walk and, dare I say, to ponder. Sam Clear, welcome. Thank you. We're sitting here in in Sydney, you're on a whirlwind trip, you're in and out, you're still talking for a living now, telling your story, it's what you do. Let's go back to 2006, you were 29. What was your motivation for walking around the world? I
1: had graduated from university with a degree in mechanical engineering, but decided that I perhaps needed to put my faith into action a little bit. It was uh, lacking somewhat, and I looked at going to Africa, or I ended up moving to Borkham Hills in Sydney, and worked in youth ministry for a number of years. Yeah. And during that time, became I was always very aware of disunity in the church at a denominational level. But to be honest, I didn't really care about it that much, and I didn't really think it was that important on, on most subjects, some perhaps, but not most. And then as I was working as a, as a missionary, uh, working with youth, started to sit in on meetings. There was one meeting in Melbourne where they found out halfway through I was a Catholic and was asked to leave. They wouldn't continue the meeting till I'd left, uh, and that's, that's modern Australia um And then, in the next meeting, I think it was the Baptists and Pentecostals were throwing their Bibles across the table at each other, no. accusing each other of not being proper Christians, but then asking me to back them up because I was in their eyes a Christian. Uh, there were some people who were saying that the the church is you know completely. Scattered and you know, and X Y and Z they yeah. they'd list the differences between yeah. each each denomination and then right next to them is another Christian arguing with them going no no we are united because we believe in Jesus and there's nothing we need to do we have complete unity there was there was actually disunity over whether or not we were even united uh, and it got to the point I, I heard the story one day of a gentleman who had changed churches. But in doing so, lost his friends and family. His girlfriend broke up with him. She couldn't be sent to be going out with someone going to that church. No. And his mother was distraught that in her eyes, he was disowning God by joining this other denomination. And in that moment, it was like standing at a car crash and not knowing first aid. Yeah. Really felt, I guess, quite cut to the core that the church being the body of Christ was broken. Only we'd done it this time. Effectively, it was like looking at Jesus crucified again. Only anyway, we'd done it, and whilst I did try, genuinely did try and push it away, kind of push that yeah, sense yeah. down. Yeah, the urge. Was... I couldn't get rid of it. Yeah. It kept nagging at me, and there, were, there really did feel like there was a question being posed to me of what's my response, and I kept grappling with, well, I don't have a degree in theology or philosophy. I'm not. I don't feel any calling to become a a preacher, a pastor, a priest. I had my engineering degree. I was working in youth ministry, but I was in, intent on going down a very mm. different line mm. in life. And I knelt down before church one day and just prayed a very simple prayer. And it was a get out of jail prayer. Mm. And it was simply, "I'd love to love to help you, mate, but you're on your own. Sorry, God, I'm out. The problem's too big. There's too much division. There's a there's too much." Um, uh i i guess people being solidified in their beliefs and and people are quite comfortable sure in that and for for the most part you know, people are quite happy to continue on their journey and and draw closer to god whilst not being confronted with perhaps certain beliefs that you know they that may not completely influence their life but are certainly associated with their church and i thought there's just nothing i can do this is it's going to be a waste of time and those who i knew who were involved At this level they just get into really good arguments with someone who knew how to argue Mm. back Mm. Um, but in the silence that followed there was that genuine call of you're right sam you can't fix it but i can i need you to at least pray for unity so that in that moment there was something i could do which i wasn't doing which is pray for unity began to pray for unity in time that grew and i started to invite friends to pray for unity and most of them refused to the, wow. the general answers were, we'll be united when people join our church, or we are united, you just aren't a part of the real church, or these people aren't a part of the real church. And this great sense of, uh, we just need more people who think like I think.
0: You know, just from the outside looking in, I'm startled at the division. I, I don't think many people would have, a, have expected you to say that.
1: I didn't expect that that's what was going to play out. Now, I was aware of it to a smaller extent. When I was at university, there was a guy who found out that I believed in Jesus, but was Catholic, and he kept trying to evangelise me. But I put that down to him. I later found out that that's actually what his entire church was doing at that time. They were doing a thing called um, Fight Club, evangelising Catholics. Oh, so that, that's actually what the entire church was doing in a series at the time. Um, that's so extraordinary. I, I was aware of it in yeah. in pockets, yeah, but certainly not at the wider level. But um, I think if we even look just at the the different teachings of what some churches mm-hmm. believe. There are some great differences there, but they don't necessarily divide us more so that there's a great opportunity for us to draw closer and refine what the truth
0: is. Then I'll, We're going to get to your mission, if you like, mm-hmm. a little later. But in terms of the walk and the journey itself, were you ever at any stage frightened, this is going to end in tears? Oh, well and truly, Yes. So
1: I had decided that my response, I couldn't get people to pray for unity, so I wanted to make a statement. Right. So I decided to sell everything that I owned and walk around the world praying for unity.
0: Okay. So let's talk about that walk. 15,500 Ks from the easternmost point of Brazil through South America, Central America, and North America. Just picture that, my listeners. Through South America, Central America, and North America. That's 10,000 kilometers. On foot then across Siberia on the Trans-Siberian Railway, and then back on the feet again from Moscow through to the westernmost point of Spain, all in the sake of Christian unity. And, of course, that last bit, the last 1,000 Ks, includes the Camino de Santiago. El Camino. Let's talk about, though, overall, this extraordinary journey. I imagine, Sam, it wasn't just a journey on foot, but an extraordinary journey spiritually as well. It crushed me. And there were times when I
1: genuinely thought about going home. There were times when I genuinely thought, "Where is God in this?" It hurt i nearly I nearly died eleven times. I guess it depends on how you want to define that, but everything wow. from uh, stung by a scorpion and that stopped my heart beating multiple times over half an hour period held at gunpoint three times. Um, there are plenty of occasions where I was in hospital and unconscious and wake up with a a a doctor or nurse looking over me speaking a foreign language and trying to communicate back to them. And there were moments where I became very disillusioned with unity and thought we, almost that, that self-loathing yeah, and saying, yeah. we are horrible. Yeah. We are so horrible to each yeah. other. And walking into towns where there are multiple churches and everyone is Christian, but they are fighting each other to the hilt. So, uh, so this disunity was really a global thing. Yeah, and I guess that's one of the really big things that I learned on the entire journey was that we can talk about disunity at a theological level. Mm. What really hit me between the eyes on the walk was disunity at a social level of loving one another. Mm. Even this morning, I actually went to church this morning, and uh, some of the, the older women in the, in the church were praying afterwards, and whilst their prayers were wonderful, there was one moment where one of the women was a bit slow with her prayer, mm. and a woman behind her just said, get on with it. You know, and just sitting there going, "Oh, hang on a second. I think we're losing the the idea of why we're here. And that was one of the big things that struck me while I was walking was that even when people agreed theologically, mm-hmm. they were united in their belief in Jesus. They definitely were not united in their
0: love of one another or identifying Christ in each other. So, so you're touching on something much deeper there, though, aren't you? And 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 much a much broader problem. And that is not just Christians. But that love, uh, lack of love and respect for one another across the board, which in 2017, really, Christians are only just examples of, of, of everyday people, aren't they?
1: Yes, and it really did come back to each individual and the decisions they were making that day yeah. that I met them yeah. of how they are going to respond to a complete stranger mm. that walks into their, their town. Right. And that... Became the journey in itself. Exactly. Was in the same way it, when you walk the Camino to Santiago, it's not about walking 800 kilometers. It's, it's about encounter with, yeah. with the people yeah. and encounter with God and encounter with ourselves. And and that's really what the walk around the world became. Mm. Just it was a longer. It was 19 months. Yeah, rather than one.
0: Yeah, 568 days. In fact, and we talked touched on Christian unity. But why are we? Why why are people? drifting apart and in fact why do you think have did, have you found a reason or an answer to the question why we're drifting in general it,
1: it changed from country to country and honestly it actually helped in doing the journey and coming back to australia and seeing australia through new eyes yeah. uh, in australia in particular we seem to have a, a very strong sentiment of you can't tell me what i can and can't do mm-hmm. and so when someone tries to present an alternative view often that is smashed. And even to the point, I I work full-time as a public speaker now. I work in high schools predominantly. And i often say to the students that what I see a lot of, particularly in Australia, is when someone disagrees with their point of view, all of a sudden we hate them. Mm. As opposed to, I disagree with what you're saying, but I'm going to do everything to ensure that you still know that I love you. And there's a, there's a, a big difference there. So I think that's one of the things we struggle with here in Australia is when someone disagrees with... What we believe or what we've come to understand as true, if they hold something else, we are extraordinarily disappointed in them or even to the point of we see that they hate one another. Mm, mm. Um, That's a big obstacle, a big hurdle that I think we have to learn to overcome here in Australia. Very much so. Overseas, other countries, it changed. It was different from place to place. Um, In some countries, it was a case of life is expendable. Uh, if I need $10 and you have $10, then I won't hesitate to put yeah. a bullet in your head and take that $10 from you. Yeah, right. uh, which made it difficult walking through some countries. Mm. As I was saying, nearly lost my life 11 times and been held at gunpoint oh, three dear. times. And The funny thing is, I've got a photograph of one of the guys who held me at gunpoint. We had the most amazing conversation once the barrier had been broken.
0: Yeah.
1: And he apologised. He posed for a photograph with his shotgun. He looked at my itinerary. He even tapped himself on the chest and said, oh, I'm a Catholic as well. I said, oh, good on you. Thank you for holding me <laughs> at gunpoint. Uh, we had a, a great conversation. Breaking down those barriers mm-hmm. can be really difficult. But I think from country to
0: country, those barriers are quite different. So that's globally we're drifting. A- and I think that my generation, and I'm 50, and you're about 30. 38. You're late, 38, your late in 30s, 40. okay. But you, you counseled for many years young people. Hmm. What are young people telling you? About unity and divisiveness, because they're the hope of the side, mm. what what are young people telling you? funny thing is
1: i 'm finding that young people don't necessarily fit into the the painting that they 've been painted with or brushed with. Um, a lot of young people are quite open to faith to learning about God, but what they 've been told doesn't fit with what they 've been told in. In physics or chemistry or anywhere like that Mm, Um, but a lot of the time what they've been told they they actually aren't on the same plane at all but but they are being taught in a way that puts them on the same plane you've got to choose one or the other Mm -hmm. Um, and I think in particular what the young people are are looking for is a personal experience a witness of God in someone's life they want to see it live not so much taught they're being taught to the hilt yeah, about everything under the sun, but what they want to see and what they'll actually express is they want to see it live. They want to be able to emulate yeah. what someone else is doing. Yeah, um, And again, I know we're talking about schools here in Australia, but this is the same thing on the Camino with the people that I met. I've done the Camino twice now. I actually went back, uh, took some, some friends back from Australia and we walked it a, a second time. Um, and even there, the people that we'd meet. For a lot of the people we're meeting, uh, when it came to faith, a lot of the objections they had was that they'd seen a counter witness at that level with faith. Um, and when it comes to loving one another, how do we love one another when what they're seeing around them are people using other people? Sure. So there's a level, there's a, a distrust yeah. to love at that level. So I think it does require something quite um, uh, radical, Yeah. really, I mm-hmm. guess, in the way that we do love one another and whether we're willing to forgive those around us and whether we, our prayer life is something that really does permeate yeah, everything.
0: Well, that's my you know, next question. You would have prayed a lot over 568
1: <laughs> almost, days. I had nearly 10 hours a day set aside for prayer. I don't have that luxury now. So no,
0: it, that's right. Well, That's one of the great things about the Camino, time and space. Mm-hmm. And, and it's frightening. It can be frightening to Very. be left alone with your thoughts for that amount of time. Yeah. But you would have prayed a lot, I'm sure. Do you think... In general, we pray enough. I think the difficulty is when
1: we start to put prayer into the box of something we do in the day as opposed to our entire day. Sure. This yeah. was a difficult question. When I came back from the, the journey overseas, one of the questions I was asked a lot was, so how's your prayer life? And I found it really difficult to answer the question because really the from the walk and from pilgrimage, yeah. the answer at that point was, Well, it is life.
0: Yeah,
1: it it was constant conversation. It was. I remember uh, in the United States walking along one day and deciding, "Okay, I'm going to pray now." It was two hours later before I said a single word. There was two hours (laughs) of silence, of walking, of almost settling my thoughts down, and and being in awe of what was around me. And then two hours later, some words come out, and I actually start praying um and so actually and that was a beautiful lesson from pilgrimage was being able to actually allow prayer to become my entire day and and whilst there might be set times of what you might call normal prayer that we grew up with there were lots of times where it was simply lots of one second prayers yeah god that looks great thanks for today yeah thanks i'm still alive thanks that yesterday ended okay please bless that person that I can see over there. Or I'd often walk, when you go on the side of the road, I'd walk past death markers a lot. So I'd spend a lot of my time actually walking and praying for the soul of that person, but also for their family. Yeah. You know, perhaps the grief that they're they're still going through. And found that there was an opportunity to pray constantly through the day in a way that wasn't taxing. And there's great, I think, great merit in putting time aside for prayer that is taxing where we're, we're forced into a sure. position of, yeah. of silence and yeah. uncomfortableness, but then to not so much leave the prayer there, but bring it into everyday our
0: everyday walk. And so the second part of my question was, do you think we pray enough in general? I don't
1: think we can ever really pray enough in general, yeah. particularly at the level of not saying but listening. If yes. we, and this was, again, something that was beautiful about being on pilgrimage was that time in silence to listen to God's call on our heart, to and pray things and wait for an answer.
0: And listening to what other people had to say is oh. very much a part of that engagement and, and of the Camino, isn't it? And it's yeah. about you you mentioned encounter. Mm. Well, that very much that engagement. Sometimes you find yourself sitting listening to somebody. Yeah. you think, thinking, what on earth is this Hungarian woman telling me her life story for? Yeah. But just being there quietly, you're thinking to yourself in your thoughts, in a very, in a a sort of, in an understated way, you are praying. Yes. By listening, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And we, there was a beautiful moment on the
1: Camino where I, I met two Irishmen. We all, the three of us met at the same time. They didn't know each other. And we walked a number of days together. One of the guys was there because his marriage was on the rocks. And he had taken time out to walk the Camino. And we talked about family. The other guy was married yeah. and in a, and a beautiful marriage. And I think he had five kids. Uh, I was single but was hopeful of being married at the time. And so we, we're chatting back and forwards. We prayed together a lot. And about four days in, we got ready to walk off. And one of the Irishmen, the, the guy with a struggling marriage, walked up to us without his backpack. And he said, gentlemen, I'm saying Goodbye. He said, I've been listening to everything you've been saying over these last few days and as we prayed together. He said, by the way, I, haven't, I hadn't prayed in 20 years. Nah. But he said, uh, my Camino's at home. I need to go back. He said, I, I can't fix my marriage here. Yeah. I need to go back home. And the beautiful thing was a year later I received an email from him of a photograph with him and his wife and his kids on holiday and just saying it's uh, it's been wonderful and, that's and awesome. fantastic. So, that's, and that's it, came, it came down to simply talking and listening yeah. to one another.
0: I don't think young people pray today as much as past generations, but I want to clarify that by saying that a lot of my generations and certainly my parents' prayers were simply going through the motions. Yeah. What do today's young people tell you about prayer? Are they praying, young people? Uh, some are.
1: A lot of them will actually ask the question, how do you pray? There is a genuine wanting yeah. of, I don't actually understand the concept. How do you pray? And what and when I do speaking engagements in high schools, I won't do any real explanation. I'll just talk about, this is what I felt God asked me to do. So I did this and this is what happened. And the students don't actually batter an eyelid at that, but they will come forward and say, "But how do you pray? How do you listen?" Um, and a lot of them are struggling with that, and I think you're right, there's been for a lot of people kind of my generation back, there was a sense of going through the motions, yeah. a little bit, and there is a, even is today, even with some of the the newer churches where there's a lot of praise and worship, it's very easy to get stuck in the mold of going through the motion, even in praise and worship, you're singing a song. And not really focusing on, on what we're saying and, and what's, what's going on there. Um, I do some exercises with the students uh, to bring prayer back to something that's really personal. Uh, I was once, I had a little nun once shake her finger at me. She was a Benedictine <laughs> nun. Uh, for those who are listening, you probably can't see that I'm six foot five, 196 centimeters tall. She was not. She was a tiny little Benedictine nun. And she looked up at me, shook a finger, and said, Sam, if you've never prayed the prayer, God this sucks. You've never prayed properly. And what she was getting at because I was talking to her about praying. That... <laughs> right. I was talking about praying set prayers and and you know, should I pray how much should I pray how many? Oh, and what oh, she was getting at was oh, no no no, just you can pray yourself prayers but if you're not being honest and yeah, blunt yeah, yeah. in your prayer, you're not really praying. You're just going through a menu list and hoping that there's some magic formula. But this is a relationship. Be blunt, be really honest. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of youth are hearing that—that prayer is actually a um, relationship—and we're not necessarily giving them the time out to be blunt, be really honest. Often in schools, students are handed a prayer that's been scripted for them. Okay, yeah. It's about not stuffing up in front of your friends. Yeah, yeah. Not so much what's really on the heart.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in taking another step further, then it's also about those young people listening to themselves, isn't it? And and developing that relationship with themselves, and believing yep. in themselves, and believing in their own thoughts, and trusting, knowing what who they, they are, are, yeah,
1: actually having confidence that they uh, have a, a great beauty and dignity yeah. that's beyond measure, which is really difficult in Australian society. We, certainly I think, was it last year we were number one in the world for youth suicide. Now, that is not something mm. that you'd think Australia yeah. would be. Topping the world in that's we, do, the, we need to
0: do some soul searching in that respect. Oh, big time,
1: and and it is really difficult in our culture with um, um, social media now actually being put into the addictive basket. Mm. So these are actual addictions that people have in in I, I want people to like me, and and that becomes really difficult, and and so actually taking time out to be silent, to be with God, to be really honest, um, also. Another thing that comes out, I think, a lot through the youth that I meet is that they get a bit disillusioned because they think, because what they've heard is if life is really difficult, place your trust in God and everything will be great. But how it comes across to the students is God's a genie. And if you've got something wrong, you need to rub the bottle and you'll get your three wishes and God will fix it Mm. and you won't have any suffering. That's right. And they have prayed something and suffering has continued in some way and they've become very disillusioned that maybe God isn't there. Um, And so I think it actually, and this is where it comes back to witness as well, to have uh, people around them who are actually able to walk through suffering with hope, with humility, with love, and with joy in that suffering, which is really confronting. Mm. Even last year, I was at a funeral. My, My godson passed away at nine months of age. It was really hard. And the parents stood up at the start, gave a eulogy, and it was the most hope-filled, joy-filled, and yet sorrowful eulogy I think I've ever heard. And everyone was talking about it afterwards. It's in, that, it's in those moments of suffering that we really do have an opportunity to bear witness, to love And I think that really does make a big change, a big impact on young people. Um,
0: and that's very much like a pilgrimage. It's very much like a Camino. Yeah. You say the word, or the road rather, you say the road to unity is a lifelong journey of ups and downs, what we were just talking about. But the first step begins with a simple desire of the heart. So, Sam, tell us about the Pray for One project. Yeah,
1: the I wasn't looking really to walk around the world to bring Christian unity to fruition. I don't think, I might be wrong on this, but I don't think we'll ever achieve complete Christian unity in our lifetime. I think that is heaven. That's complete Christian unity. But I think what we do have in front of us is a continual opportunity Mm. to be united with people around us. In the same way, will we ever achieve complete love on earth? Well, I think more than likely we'll just be given more opportunities to love one another. So the mission really was simply to ask Christians to continually pray for each other, to pray for unity and for the desire to be united with those around them. Not so much to... I think a lot of people hear that as to simply... um,
0: Take a plate to the church up the street.
1: Yeah, and, and to be okay with what we don't agree with. Sure. It, it's not necessarily the case. We don't agree with something, and, and even at a theological level, to feel comfortable to have that discussion and to be upfront about it, mm. but not to use that as an excuse to not love the person, to continually love one another, and to ask, pray for that grace, to, to love one another and, and to continually walk with one another and to refine our, our own Christian walk with each other that I've often heard before the um, the idea of sandpaper ministry we, we walk and this is what the pilgrimage on the Camino is you walk so closely with each other you, and there are some people who will grate you oh, yeah. and you can't get away from them <laughs> and it, it it knocks the edges off us
0: yeah,
1: in, a, in quite a significant way uh, and it's funny how many people on the Camino I met who honestly to start with they bugged me so much and I did everything I could to avoid them by the time we made it to Santiago to Compostela, you're hugging each other yeah. and you are
0: so grateful for their yeah, accompaniment. That's right on that journey, and, and you learn so much from them, don't you? Yeah, and and we're going to get yeah. to that. So so let's go to the Camino de Santiago. It was late in your journey, so how did you find? I mean, a general question: How did you find the whole experience? You must have loved it. You went back.
1: It was. I did go back. Yeah, uh, and I actually would love to go back a third time. Um, Leave that for a few years yet, though. Um, I, when I first approached the Camino, you've got to remember this was my last thousand kilometres of fifteen and a half thousand Ks. So it genuinely was a case of Spain, the final frontier. You know, I had this last thousand Ks. <laughs> Pretty a good place to do it. Oh, it was brilliant. It was because for the rest of you know, my other fourteen and a half thousand kilometres, yeah. roughly, were on the side of roads where there was no footpath. Yeah, that's my next question. The Camino is yeah. marked out. Yeah. There's accommodation, not just at the end of every day. Yeah. There's accommodation halfway yeah. if I decide to just yeah. stop. And I, I just didn't have that That's right. kind of, if you call it a luxury. Yeah. I didn't have that luxury <laughs> through most of the other places that I walked through. So when I saw the Camino, my instinctive reaction was actually one of, these aren't real pilgrims. And I had this moment of, you guys don't know what it's really like. There was actually an arrogance. And I remember, looking, really? I remember looking at the pilgrims on the first day in their bandanas and their new walking poles and backpacks. And most of them had iPods in yeah. to listen to music. And I remember looking at them thinking, Pilgrim toffs, <laughs> you don't know what real pilgrimage <laughs> oh, is. And I avoided no. any contact with any pilgrims for the first couple of days. And then I was three or four days in and I crossed paths with a, um, a South Korean pilgrim and I went to overtake him and in the the worst thing that could have happened happened he took his iPod his earphones out and he wanted to talk with me and I was livid and I, oh, I don't want to talk to this guy and I was actually and this is the this is the horrible thing I was praying at the time I think this guy's going to interrupt my prayer time and he asked me uh where you know if I was walking all the way and I said yes and he 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 said uh are you excited and I said uh I didn't tell him what I was doing I said yeah I am I'm excited I said how about you he said this has been my lifelong dream. He said I read the story of someone who walked the Camino when I was a child. He said I've always since I was a child wanted to come here and oh, walk in the footsteps of yeah. of this idol that mm-hmm. I'd had of um, someone who'd walked the Camino and he said now I get the opportunity to have my own journey on the Camino and he said I'm not a fit person. I don't know if I'll make the end. But I'm not going to give up. I don't care if I have to stop and wait a few days in each town and he said, but I'll do it slowly. I haven't booked a return ticket. I'm just going to walk really slowly, and I'm just so excited to to go through the pain and try and make it to the end and just pray my way along the Camino. And I just remember being smashed. Did and- you
0: think then, do you remember, he, he is really a true pilgrim?
1: At that moment, I felt like almost getting down and asking him, do you mind if I wash your feet for you? <laughs> Uh, I'm really sorry for how I – I didn't tell him what I had actually thought then. But here's the funny thing. When I made it to um, – what's the town about f- uh, five days out from Santiago to Compostela? The, Saria? Saria. Saria. Yeah. yeah. And well, that's, you have to walk from Saria right, 100Ks, to get, yeah. Yeah, to get yeah. your, your pilgrim certificate. And, and of course, the, the pilgrim numbers rise massively. Yeah, yeah, explode. The guys that I'd been walking with, that I'd met on the Camino, and I'd become – we'd become part of each other's journey. Yeah.
0: We'd become friends. Camino family.
1: Yeah. When we walked out of Saria, it was like a magnet. We just went to each other and we're almost taking shelter in each other. And the guys I was walking with looked at all these other pilgrims and actually said, look at all these pilgrim toffs. They aren't real pilgrims. (laughs) And I had to say to them, hang on a second. I've never told you this, but...
0: Oh, is that when you told them? And I told
1: them what had happened when I first joined the pilgrims. And they were laughing. And and one of them said, hang on a second, I want to ask one of these guys. And as we walked past one older bloke... Uh, one of these other pilgrims, one of the, my pilgrim family, he said to him, excuse me, do you mind if I ask, why are you only walking the last 100 Ks? And this gentleman said, well, I only get one week off work a year. So I spend a little bit of time with my family, and then I always spend around three, two or three days walking the Camino. He said, I've walked two or three days a year for the last 25 years. He said, I have a full week off this time. My family's let me come here for the whole time. And this time, I finish my commitment." Oh,
0: that's great.
1: And <laughs> there was silence. There was just this gentle nodding of the head from our little pilgrimage family of everyone taking that humility yeah. pill. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's there for a different reason. That's right. And yeah. a lot of people might tell you something, yeah. but there can often be something so much deeper. That's right. And you are well and truly a part of each other's journey. And it uh, doesn't matter how far. And this is a funny thing, too. A lot of people who had started walking from Saria, they would, when we walked past them, they'd say, Oh, where'd you start walking from? No one would actually answer their question. Everyone would say something like, We started a while back, hmm. or we started you know, quite a few weeks back. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was, there was this great acknowledgement in that moment. You know what? Actually, it doesn't matter where you started this from, we're heading in a similar direction, and we're going to walk this together. Uh, and it was a beautiful conclusion, yeah, to the pilgrimage.
0: Yeah. Just sitting in the square in 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 Santiago de Compostela, and just I sat there for hours and hours and so hours. So satisfying, isn't it? Yeah, and and people come in crying, some people come in laughing, some people come in cranky, some people. <laughs> but they, they sort of you watch them change then throughout the day, and groups come in, and some pilgrims come in on their own. Simply hit, kneel as soon as they arrive. Yeah. They kneel, and it's just an amazing place. It truly is. And it leads me perfectly to my next question because I often talk about the spirit of the Camino. And yeah. one of the guests, Rebecca Scott, called it serious juju of the way. Did you get a sense the Camino then was somehow different than other paths you'd walked? Did you feel a different energy between, on the Camino de Santiago than, mm. say, walking in North America? Well and
1: truly, yeah. No, the, the rest of the journey, the other 14,500 Ks felt like a mission And in fact, I remember in Italy, people saying, are you a pilgrim? And I'd say, no, I'm not a pilgrim. I'm here on mission. I just happen to be on foot. Sure. But when I walked onto the Camino, because of, as you put it, the Camino family, you realize I am on pilgrimage Yeah. and you become a pilgrim and you can't escape that. And there are a lot of people, a lot of people walk the Camino for very different reasons. And uh, I remember meeting a Scotsman who said he was walking it for architectural reasons. He wanted to walk from architectural building to architectural building. That, yeah. That's why he was doing it. That's
0: a pretty spectacular architecture. <laughs> there
1: is. Uh, and everyone's there for very different reasons. Yeah. And, and um, no matter why you're there, you, you can't escape the fact you're drawn into the pilgrimage. And there was a very distinct feel. A lot of students ask me, would you recommend walking around the world? And I say to them, no, I would recommend walking the Camino de Santiago. Now, as far as mission's concerned, I would recommend doing what you feel the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do. Sure. But no, if you're going to do a walk, the Camino de Santiago. Within that, there is a, a journey, particularly that middle section. That, when it's dry, if you do it in the summer months, it's dry, it's long, it's rocky, it hurts. But that makes Galacia, the, the last yeah. region, so much more beautiful going through those hard yards. I, I think perhaps as a male, perhaps it's the closest we'll ever come to understanding birth. Yeah. The pain and the beauty Yeah. afterwards. Yeah, it, yeah, it is yeah. extraordinary. And then to, to also go from church to church, and you're obviously meeting people who are praying and you're meeting people who are atheists. I think in a big way, we are forced to look at where do I stand? Where do I stand in life? Where do I stand with what's going on around me? You're hearing so many, just in conversation, you're hearing so many different points of view. Um, you've got all the, the amazing churches along the way. And some of these churches, there was, when I walked in, a genuine sense of awe and wonder. And you did feel like, I just need to spend some time here on my knees
0: yeah. right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
1: And, uh, and then there were other times on the Camino where you'd meet a complete stranger and you'd find yourself actually praying with them because they, in this moment, they've actually decided to open up as to why they're really there. Yeah. Um, so oh. there, there is. I agree with uh, what was her name?
0: Rebecca. Rebecca Scott. Scott. Oh, the, I, about
1: the serious juju she called it. The, yeah. the energy. Oh yeah, it, it is quite phenomenal, and it does change over the course of the journey.
0: It does indeed. So, what about your message though of Christian unity? How was mm. that received on the Camino?
1: What was funny was that a lot of the churches there were actually not used to having a pilgrim knock on their door. They'd walk straight to the albergue. They'd find accommodation and find food. So to have a pilgrim knocking on the door, a lot of the, the priests or the pastors were a little bit taken aback. What's this guy want? Is he begging? Does he want money? And so it was actually received very well because for a lot of them, they were actually quite... It was the first time in a long time that they'd had a, a pilgrim come along who was doing something other than... I, I think that a lot of them, that their impression was a lot of people do this for architectural reasons, for fitness reasons. Uh, and I actually had some wonderful conversations and wonderful meals with priests and pastors who, at the different churches who were actually uh, just very supportive along the way. In fact, I think even perhaps more supportive than in some of the other countries that I walked through where they wanted to engage as soon as I invite people to pray for Christian unity, they wanted to engage with theological debate. Straight yeah, of away. course. Whereas on the, the Camino, that didn't. I don't remember that happening. I do remember meeting one woman standing on the side of the road, screaming at everyone that walked past for partaking in this diabolical. Um, what she? I can't remember what she called it. Probably don't even need to need to repeat what she called it. But <laughs> she was going off at everyone, and everyone's giving her a wide berth. And um, I been through a lot. I'd, I'd, I think maybe I missed the confrontation from South and Central America that I had there. So I just walked straight up to her and listened to her. And once she'd finished, I actually gave her an answer to everything she'd said. Uh, and she didn't accept that. And she just continued to scream at me. But for the most part, everyone else was, uh, was actually very receptive. And it, what was beautiful was to meet people on the walk. And a lot of people heard that I was there. As in, they heard there was a guy amongst us who started walking in Brazil not in France right? and a lot of people came through the crowd trying to find who, uh, to find me and, and to ask why it started in Brazil they didn't know why I was walking so then was the opportunity to actually extend the invitation to pray for unity uh, it was with the pilgrims you know it was hit and miss some very much wanted to take on the prayer to pray for unity as they walked um, I remember sitting in one little town and a, a very attractive American woman sat beside me a young American woman and she was single and we got chatting. I'll be honest, I I've, I've felt a little bit flustered. Like, she's so pretty. And having this conversation, she's talking about the fact that I'd walked so far to get there. And, and she said, so why are you walking around the world praying for unity? And I told her. And her body language completely changed. She crossed her legs in the other direction to me. She shuffled a good meter away from me and then looked at me and said, don't you think that's very presumptuous to think that you're right and everyone else is wrong? I said, oh, well, hang on, I'm not, I'm not pushing any particular theological agenda. I'm just Inviting people to pray for unity. And she said, but you're a Catholic. You're not a proper Christian. And she walked away from me. Really? That was about the one time. Everyone else I met wanted to very slowly slide into yeah. prayer yeah. and to yeah. talk about unity. And this is Pat, the Irishman, particularly with Pat, you know, to talk about unity at that family level, mm. not just at a church theological yeah. level. Yeah, And that's where a lot of the the beauty and the fruit was in talking about the struggle of unity, how much it does hurt, uh, but how wonderfully satisfying it is to go through the hard yards, like going
0: across the Meseta yeah. in, in the middle of Spain. And you, you get, end up with, in Santiago, a sense of, of personal unity because you really have brought heart, soul, and mind together with so much time and so much energy spent. You, you're exhausted, you, yeah. you're thin. <laughs> yeah, I was you're unshaven. I'd lost 14 kilos. 14 by then. kilos, yeah. crikey. And so you really are, aren't you? You you're you're experiencing your own form of of personal unity. It but, was thanks.
1: Yeah. More that unity yeah. really came down to just gratitude. the most
0: profound gratitude. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that is really quite overwhelming, isn't it? So, I, I want to ask you a pretty difficult question, but I'd like you to sort of try to explain to me, how did God's love reveal itself to you on that journey?
1: Yeah. Uh, Now, I need to put this in context in that I had considered going home a couple of times early on. First time because I was being struck at by snakes every day. I don't like that. And I I kind of felt like this wasn't on the brochure. No, this wasn't what I signed up for. Yeah, yeah. Um, The other thing was racism. I had never copped so much brutal racism. So not just name-calling, but being shooed out of a hotel because you are not welcome here, not your type. And actually, they locked the hotel door and stand on the inside and fold their arms until I'd left. Um, People trying to drive their cars off the road to run me over. The three times I was held at gunpoint were racially motivated. They weren't robbing me. Um, So I'd, I'd considered going home, and I was really grappling with where is where is God in this? Mm. How is it that I'm doing something here that I think God's called me to do, and why am I not? Why is God not loving me through this? You know, there's a real grappling sure, with that. Sure, sure. When I was in Panama, I walked into a village at sunset. No one would say hello to me. They're actually yelling out, "Go home, gringo! Go home, white guy! You're not welcome here." And uh, sat on a log on the edge of the village, on the edge of the jungle. I had no food left. There was a shop there, but all they had was things like 10 10 kilograms of rice and chewing gum. There's nothing I could eat for dinner. There's no hospitality forthcoming. And while I was sitting there, a guy came and sat a few metres down from me with his daughter. She was mucking around playing in the darkness, and he shuffled along the log and introduced himself. Uh, He was 24 years old, introduced his daughter, who went off running again, embarrassed at being introduced to the gringo. And uh, at the end of the night, he invited me to come home and stay at his place. He said, I don't think my wife will mind. So I followed him out of the village and his house was a tin shed, dirt floored, rambler. It was a woodshed by Australian standards. No running water, no electricity, no toilet, no bathroom, no kitchen, no door across the doorway. They couldn't keep the wild animals out at night time. They had to sling hammocks from the ceiling to be close to the ceiling in case one of the jungle animals came along and Amazing. was going to eat them. Uh, he asked me if I needed something to eat for dinner. I'm standing in the hut. I flash my torch around. There's nothing there, there's no fridge, no pantry, there's no food, but he'd offered and I was exceedingly hungry, I'd walked 41 k's that day, so I said to him, look anything you got would be great, but I realise you don't have much, So, so I don't need much, just anything would be good please, and he said, wait here a minute, and he ran back up into the village and went door knocking for me, came back 10 minutes later with half a bread roll and a slice of sausage on it, which I ate for dinner. The next morning, he, his wife and daughter walked hand in hand up into the village, leaving us to have breakfast together, which was another bread roll and some wild lemongrass boiled up in tea to make lemongrass tea. It actually tasted pretty good. And over breakfast, I um, started to ask some personal questions. We got along quite well. So, you know, he had the confidence to go beyond yeah. the superficial. And while chatting to him, discovered that he was leaving his wife and daughter the next day, um, he said, no one will talk to me here in the village because I wasn't born here. He said, last night when you walked in, they weren't telling you to keep walking because you're a white guy. It's because you're not one of them. And here in our village, and much the same, we could probably pick out places here in, in Australia where if you're not one of us, where well, you're not really ever one of us. We'll, we'll only associate with people who are yeah. part of yeah. our family. Sure. Um, but he said, you know, we can't find work here. Um, I have to beg for our food. The problem there is no one will even give us anything. The only people I can beg from are my parents-in-law who live here in the village, but that's why we moved here to help them because they are struggling. Uh, He said, everyone will talk to my wife because she was born here, but you're the first person that's spoken to me in six months. And he said, I'm so lonely here. I've got no one to talk to. Um, He said, the only people I can beg from are my parents-in-law. That's who I got the bread rolls from. Last night when I went to them to get your dinner, I was actually asking my parents-in-law for four bread rolls. But they only had one spare, and that's the one I gave you. We hadn't had dinner either. He said, my wife and I decided we'd go without so you could eat, so you could walk on. He said, Sam, we don't have dinner most nights, to be honest. But he said, I I can't live here like this. I can't stay here and watch my wife and daughter live like this. He said, "Yes, I bought a bus ticket, which is the last of our money. He said, I won't tell my wife. I'm going to wait for them to go up to the village, as I do every morning tomorrow. And then I'll walk out through the jungle to the highway, jump on the bus and leave. He was going to go to Panama City. And when he got to Panama City, he would be homeless, living on the streets. he was going to jump off near the Panama Canal. And because he figured at the Panama Canal, he'd have a better opportunity of finding work, doing anything for anyone. And then his plan was actually to pop that money into an envelope, go back to the bus, hand it to the bus driver and plead with the bus driver to back, to drop it back at his village for his wife and daughter so they could buy food and they could eat. Gosh, um, and I walked on from that village. I gave him the money. I had in my wallet. The first it was, you know, it was enough to get him and his wife and daughter by for the first few weeks. But I walked on from the village with his daughter's toy attached to the side of my backpack. She only had one toy and, and this guy had given me that toy as a reminder to pray for them. And he'd said to me, I'll never be able to see the world like you're seeing it. You know, this it was a Dino doll from the Flintstones. He said, Dino might as well go with you and see the world. But he said, I'm giving you this so you don't forget me. He said, Please, will you pray for me while I walk? Well sorry, while you walk. Will you pray that I'll find work so I can support my wife and daughter? Uh the encounter with this particular guy absolutely shattered me. I sat down twice that day on the side of the road and just cried. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I it was difficult to put into any sort of context. I had never experienced that level of love from a complete stranger he literally he and his wife were laying their life down for someone they'd never met to the only bread roll they had for dinner to give me that Um, he even ran off into the jungle and came back with sugar cane and jammed it into my backpack for the for the road ahead just for some sustenance until i was able to make it to a shop to actually buy some food for the journey to go and to see also someone sacrificing themselves for his wife and daughter. He's going to go live on the streets, be a homeless guy and and find work anywhere and mail the money home, which I now know that he did do. I've actually been back to find them. It's been made into a documentary which we're releasing in a month's time. And in finding this guy and interviewing him, discovering that really for him what motivated him was to carry God's love to his daughters in particular. Therefore, I'm going to sacrifice everything yeah, for them. Yeah. Uh, and and just being absolutely blown away by that and, and realizing that, you know, to an even greater extent, this is God's love for me. And, you know, in moments like that, understanding what it mm-hmm. is to be unworthy of that love. But, but just so, again, that gratitude.
0: That's right. Well, that is an extraordinary story. Uh, that is an amazing story. You touched on that spiritual journey, but are we all capable of a spiritual life? Oh, well, and truly. Even
1: to the extent... And there are a lot of people who I don't think have genuinely encountered God. They haven't had that opportunity of encounter.
0: But let me Um, just pause there for a moment, though, to say, would we necessarily all identify and and appreciate that extraordinary human's generosity? Are we capable of, of taking that in? that incredible spirituality, that experience. Are we all capable of it? I think we are capable of it. There there are
1: some people who don't. I actually had a religion teacher at a school once. I was telling the story in a school. Some of the people there were tearing up, and the RE teacher, he put his hand up and actually objected during it and said, sorry, don't you think you were just pushing your Western values on other people? I, I, I'll i be honest, I had no idea how to answer his question. My question back to him was, sorry, I don't understand what your question is. Like This guy was sacrificing himself for me. But all this, and he he would not budge on that. He said, no, nah, you're just pushing yourself onto your values, onto them. I don't see how you and are in any way. I before, could man. not see no, that understand. at all. And there were other people who, other teachers yeah. then, who were yeah. horrified that this all was came out of his mouth. And they were defending. Yeah. Whilst I'm defending as well we had to it got a bit a little bit out of hand we had to kind of rein it back in and just get on with the the presentation. So for some people very difficult. Now yeah. I don't know why for this guy who was practicing Christian for him he'd see something like that and say that this is not an encounter with God's love this is just you forcing western yeah. values onto someone else. But I think that deep down it is written in us to to identify love and maybe for some people in particular there's been a certain upbringing or certain hurts that make it difficult to identify that but i i struggle to believe that that we don't all have an ability to see love in action and not be touched by it in some way but certainly in some cases certain things some people are going to push back from why though? Now, this is part of the the pilgrimage journey as well. Yeah, discovering what is someone's journey to this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and being open to it, I think, stepping yeah. onto something like the Camino de Santiago or or any pilgrimage, in fact, or any or any journey, being open to what is on offer to you, I think, is is mm. very important. Mm. Going with an open mind, no matter what you're doing, really.
1: Yeah, and no, we don't. We probably see that best on the Camino in the albergues, those who are just so grateful for what they have, and then that one person <laughs> who just cannot understand why this is not five star. Yeah, yeah, and that if anyone else wants to wake up to me being extraordinarily loud at 4 a.m. in the morning, yeah. then that's your problem.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Uh, so you'll always meet that one person yeah. who is struggling. But as I've said, uh, there was one guy I walked with on my, my last trip on the Camino who was a little bit like that for a lot of the journey. But he had a day. One day changed him, and from that moment on, he was not just grateful, but he was—he just kept apologising. I still see him occasionally two years later, and he still apologises for the first three quarters of that <laughs> journey. Um, and he—he he just had this moment of seeing everyone around him going, "No, no, I'm a part of the solution." Yeah, yeah. But it, it did take the journey. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think he, that's the the humility we have to take into pilgrimage is that yeah we're there for each other and.
0: We might have to take a little bit
1: of that sandpaper ministry.
0: Exactly, a bit more yeah. of a rubbing of beside and the friction between to just rub off the the, the, the the pointy bits. At what stage on your journey then, Sam? Did you did it dawn on you that you had a, an amazing? You were going to end up with an amazing story to tell.
1: I think even before I left Australia, I did know that if I actually complete this, if I don't die doing this, if I don't quit, there's going to be a story to tell. You know, just looking at the plan, it was a year's worth of planning. I had five people further down their faith walk than myself at the time. You know, five people I really did look yeah. up to in their yeah. faith journey, helped me to put the journey together. Um, but knowing that if I'm going to do this, I'm going out by myself. I didn't, those people stayed in Australia, so I didn't have a support crew. I thought, i would actually get through this. I know there's going to be a story to tell. But I, in this, the first few months, I wasn't focused on that at all it was a matter of staying alive and being very disgruntled with it not going how i thought it should go yeah
0: yeah you mentioned that yeah
1: so um it was probably by the time i'd made it to central america and i'd been held at gunpoint three times already Face to face with a puma in the middle of the night. I'd had a bedroom invasion, had to fight a guy off in the middle of the night. And at that point, I'm thinking, man, this is starting to read like a movie. Yeah, this is yeah. just stupid what's happening. When I made it to the United States, a um, an independent editor from a, uh, so he worked with a, a few publishing firms, but his independent editor, he contacted me and said, I've been reading your blog each week. He introduced himself, he said, if you haven't already, can you please consider this writing this down to become a book when you when you finish there is a great story to tell here just keep your notes that's all i want to say and we actually did meet each other when i got back to australia and he helped in the initial stages of, of writing the story down i didn't want to talk about it when i got home i came home with post-traumatic stress disorder like this this journey not the pill the, the camino was fantastic yeah the stuff before it yeah that's why i say to students no i would not wa- recommend walking around the world i'd recommend the camino that's a genuine pilgrimage. Uh, walking through a war zone, that's not a pilgrimage. That's, that's a bit of a death wish, really. Um, and I'll be honest, some places I was ignorant of how dangerous it was. Uh, I didn't want to touch it when I got home. I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, but then after being home for six to 12 months, was very upset again with disunity that I was seeing. And people asking me questions like, oh, I heard you walked around the world carrying a cross. You go, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh and then other people saying oh i heard you backpacked around the world hitchhiked. Uh, what were your favorite countries we're going on a honeymoon what, what could you recommend and me thinking oh wow I'd, I'm, this <laughs> my journey was so much different to what you think it was and then the fire was lit yeah. to re-enter the journey but through the written word and even to the extent of uh, one of the guys i walked with uh two years ago he kept an extensive diary he paints beautiful artist and he some days he wrote some days he painted his journey and i know that he still re-enters his pilgrimage he still re-enters the journey yeah yeah but through the written word and his paintings and he'll actually use those in prayer time as well Um, and that's how the, the story came about and what i do full time now i did not come home and go straight into speaking engagements my first speaking engagement was four or five months later and I didn't finish it because I started crying halfway through.
0: And, and the journey continues today. The journey continues You're today. you to I get will... on a plane this afternoon and yeah, fly to Moree. I,
1: and... I left Tassie two weeks ago. Um, oh. And I had speaking engagements in Brisbane, Harvey Bay, Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney, Geelong, Sydney, Nowra, back to Sydney and now I'm off to Moree. So just continually on the road and unpacking the lessons from the journey. And that changes Uh, In fact, as I was coming in here today, I was on the phone to the principal at the school tomorrow and we're talking about exactly what they feel that the students need at this point. And so I don't just talk about the walk. I I talk about themes and what I learned and then my own own experience from the walk. It's just that students are interested in it because... It's unique
0: well anybody listening today and you're interested in Sam perhaps visiting your your area your school a, a conference a seminar whatever the details will be in the uh, the blurb at the top of the page at the top of the the, uh, the podcast couple of quick questions uh, how much did your pack weigh
1: my pack weighed between 10 and 14 kilos depending on whether it's dry wet Do I have food in it? it, Have I finished my water supply? Is it cold? Is it hot? Am I wearing the gear or is it in my backpack? So, yeah, anywhere between 10 and 14 kilos.
0: First thing you'd pack if you were heading off again tomorrow? Oh, my Bible. Okay. Yeah. Did you walk from Santiago to Finisterre? I did, yes. Would you recommend doing that?
1: Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, But I think that Santiago to Compostela is... The pilgrimage end. Uh, there was something because I started on the easternmost point of Brazil, I finished on the westernmost point right. of Spain. Oh, yeah, okay, so there was, there, there was something there for me in particular. Yeah. Um, but if I go back to do it again, I would not necessarily. I, I think it's wonderful, but um, I think the genuine pilgrimage is to Santiago de Compostela. Yeah,
0: and so some people say arriving in Santiago was an anti-climax. Do you remember what you made of it as you walked through the portico?
1: Not an anticlimax, no. Um, I bet. My mum and dad were standing in <laughs> no. the plaza. Oh,
0: that was that doesn't uh, get any better, fantastic. doesn't get any better than that. Uh, so quickly tell us about the book, uh, Walk for one Paving a Path to Unity. Was it cathartic to put pen to paper in the end to see your journey bound, as it were, between a front and back cover? Massively. Yeah.
1: And here's the big difference. As I was saying earlier, I didn't want to re-enter the journey because it hurt so much. I didn't yeah, want to talk yeah. about it. But once I started writing, I realised that there were so many more wonderful, amazing moments and moments that made me laugh. I hadn't even thought about them. And I'm thinking about, oh, what happened in this town? And then I'd remember and, and just, I'd crack up laughing. And you know, people probably thought I was crazy sitting on the train. <laughs> I was living in Wollongong at the time. So I was commuting from Wollongong to Sydney on the yeah. train, writing the book. And I'd remember things and just start crack up laughing. And, and it was just so wonderfully therapeutic to see, if you will... God's fingerprints again and again and again and things tying up. And, and even to look back at the really bad stuff and to look at it with fresh eyes and just say, wow, that was, that was intense.
0: But it was you. But, but You're not was, reading a script that somebody else nah. has written that you might star in. No. Nah. You lived it and breathed it. Yep, and then to, to sit there and go, oh, I'm really grateful right now for being here and being alive. You say after 15,500 kilometres on foot, 568 days... And 11 near-death experiences. The walk is finished, but the journey continues. So no one would know better than you. It doesn't matter if you're walking up the hill complaining about aches and pains, or if you walk up the hill enjoying the view. You still have to walk up the hill, don't you? Yeah. How do you keep keep motivated in spreading your message? What keeps you
1: motivated? Actually meeting the people. Same thing as on the Camino. Meet the people. I think if we meet the people and we find out what it is that they are struggling with, and I learn a lot from them, genuinely. I don't just mean that as a passing comment. I learn a lot from these people and from the teachers that I'm meeting. And there can be things that I get upset about. You know, What's wrong with education today? And we can sprout off different things. And then you talk to some of the teachers and they'll say the same thing. And they'll talk about the struggle of what they are doing. And again, the humility learnt from that. Um, Knowing what our purpose is, and that's the beauty of pilgrimage. When you are at your wits end, you still know what the purpose is. You still know what the end destination is. And I think that helps us in everyday life, knowing what our purpose is and persevering no matter how difficult it becomes.
0: That's outstanding. Can I just quickly ask, is there a message, Sam, for those who are not Christians? They too can learn and grow from pilgrimages. Can't they? Oh, well and truly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lot yeah. of the people that I met on this
1: journey, now I speak from my own personal faith journey but a lot of people that I met on uh, both the initial journey and then the pilgrimage on the Camino uh, were atheists and there was a a great journey that they were on of becoming I think if we lose sight of becoming better people then we are going backwards very quickly and a lot of the people that I met who did not believe in God they were still there and the pilgrimage was a great place to become better people, to learn humility, to learn love.
0: That is so true. That is so true because the the overwhelming sentiment was in Santiago, I arrived on my 50th birthday. Oh, wow. So so that night, sitting around with all my Camino family, celebrating my birthday, overwhelming sentiment was we have finished this a much, much better person than when we began. Yeah. You can't ask for much more than that. No. You say one of your heroes is St. Francis of Assisi. He has a famous quote. Start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. Mm. I think it's a good way to end our chat. Yes, one step at a time. Congratulations on the work you're doing, spreading the message of unity, peace, and acceptance, not just for Christians, but for the wider community as well. Thanks, Sam. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Wonderful. Thank you very much for inviting me in. Sam there, Sam Clear, this week, an Australian adventurer, motivational speaker, writer and blogger. You can find out more by visiting Sam's website, walk onecom and you can book him to speak at an event, school conference or seminar. The book is Walk 4-1, Paving a Path to Unity. It's available via the publisher's website, garrettpublishing.com.au. Walk for one is with the numeral 4, walk, numeral 4-1. G-A-R-R-A-T-T is garrettpublishing.com.au That's all we have time for. More inspirational stories from the Camino and beyond to come. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins Buon Camino